Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. Here at the Loft, our mission is reconciliation. We truly hope this podcast draws you into a new sense of belonging within the loving arms of Jesus Christ. Let's get started. I want to jump into this message. You know, uh, Willie said to me right before I went down there and had him talk, talk to all of you, he said, I've read, read about a little guy named David. And I was like, oh, you did? We've been teaching about David for about, I don't know, three or four weeks, and we're going to teach about him again today. So I thought that was kind of awesome that you have been read, doing your good reading. Have you all been doing your reading too? Because Willie doesn't even live here, and he read it. So you're reading and through Samuel and through Kings and through Chronicles and some Psalms and just getting the heart of what does it mean to be a man after God's heart? What a, what a mystery. How are we supposed to know what that means? The best we can do is to keep reading David and see how he lived and how he acted and how he conducted himself. It's the best picture we're going to get of a man after God's heart. What does it mean? We have to study the man to see what it means to be after God's heart. Because I pray for that, and I desire that, and I long for that, and I want that. I want to have the heart that's after the heart of God. Don't you? Don't you? So today's title of the message is called Duck. What to do when your mentor is trying to kill you? You duck. And so we've learned so many lessons from King David's life, the king of Judah, king of Israel. We talked about the fear of God and how he seemed to have a healthy sense of the fear of the Lord, fear of God, a reverential awe and wonder of who God was. And then he conducted himself in a way about his life that reflected his fear and awe of God. You know, that's, that's a, hello, that's a big one, everyone. That's a big one for us to take in and to become part of who we actually are as human beings, that we might have the fear of God on our lives. And if you remember, we had a quick story about the Reverend Jim Baker from back in the day, who was visited by the Reverend John Bevere back in the day. And Jim Baker had had a whole bunch of misconduct and a whole bunch of public failure, and he's in prison for it for money that just got embezzled is the word. And so John Bevere is meeting with him, and he said, when did you stop loving God? And Jim Baker says, I never stopped loving God. I still love God. I just lost the fear of God. And that struck me, because there's a lot of times I could get up here and do this whole thing without my heart. I've been doing it a long time, and I don't want to do it without my heart. And I don't want us to serve one bowl of chili without our heart or plug in one microphone without our heart. Our heart should be connected. If if there's anything we're doing, it should include our heart. And that's directly connected to how can I please God in my life? We learned about David's ability. He wouldn't even touch what he felt like God had anointed. Even though God anointed him to be the king, there was a king in place already, and David wouldn't take it. He said, if God wants me to be somewhere, he'll put me there. And it's not going to be by my hand or by my tongue. Far be it from me. And if anybody talked about it around him, he would correct them boldly, sometimes with a spear. He had this ability as a warrior. You know, he starts off killing bears and lions. These are all traits and attributes that lean into a heart after God's heart. Okay, He's a warrior. He's fighting bears and lions protecting sheep. And his father's sheepherd, sheepfold, whatever you call it. And then he goes on to defeat Goliath. Remember that? 
who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the arms of the living God? And he takes Goliath down to protect Israel. He wins a wife. He ends up staying in the palace after that. And he becomes a warrior that is, t- has killed tens of thousands, and people would chant his name. He was a great fighter, and we know this. I apply that to a spiritual battle. I might be standing here in this cute dress, but I am covered in armor all on every side of me. I've got a helmet of salvation. I got a sword. I got two. You know, I'm ready. Whatever, whenever, whatever's happening. I've got a whole slew of people around me that will, we say shields up, and everybody puts a shield up, and we get it on every side. That's how we walk in the spirit. That's how we look to the enemy of God, to our enemy. We look fully clothed in armor. Maybe sometimes a little bloody. If you're shiny, you need to get that armor dirty. You need to find those knees and get on them. You need to start praying breakthrough. You need to start speaking scripture into situations. You need to start handling the word of God in a way that would please Jesus. He didn't put all that armor on you so you could stand around. He wants you to wield it and be effective in it. David was a warrior. So am I. He had the favor of God. He had the favor of people all over him. So all of these small investigations into David's life are going to help us to discover what it means to be after God's own heart. So with the holidays coming up, I just want to interject this message. It's, I love teaching this whole series. You're going to hear from some other teachers soon. Um, Steve Bomarito is going to be talking about Uriah the Hittite next to David and everything that David fell in and everything that he came back from. And then a little guy named Nathan, too. I won't steal your thunder, even though you have stolen mine before. But I'll go ahead and leave that for you. And then there's Todd is going to be talking about honor and the way that David conducted himself full of honor all the time. Those things are coming up soon. Christy's going to be talking about worship, how David is a worshiper. And I'm going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. But we have a capable team of teachers. And again, that's camaraderie. That's arms, linking arms. That's having a commonality of something that we can speak and teach and glean and learn from each other. There's strength in that too. So with the holidays coming, I want to slip this one in. You know, duck. What do you do if your mentor is trying to kill you? So David's story is going to offer a couple of references for dysfunctional family. <laughs> Does anybody have a dysfunctional family besides me? Um, yeah, I'm the only one. It's okay. I'll talk to myself. So it's like when, when you have a situation, maybe it's not your family. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your husband or wife. I don't know. God knows. But when things are broken and they're disheveled and they're not the way that you want them to be, I was going to say copacetic, but I don't know if anybody knows what that means. And they're not meshing. They're not folding together the way that they're supposed to. There's something about us that notices it on purpose. Because if something feels wrong, it probably is. It's not just women that have women's intuition. It's just that women need a lot of words, so they talk about it. You know, Men just think about it. But we all have an intuition. We all have a feeling, hey, that's not right. And when you have that feeling, you're supposed to do something about it. And I just want to talk a little bit about those things in light of family gatherings coming up. So, you know, some of us have a great family. We have everything's, all the ducks are in a row. Everybody likes each other. All the aunts and uncles get along. They bring gifts for the hostess, you know. Everyone brings a side dish on a perfectly long table where there's a chair for everybody. There's a placemat, you know, a napkin ring, and a, we don't do that. We watch football. We're in, some are in pajamas and some are dressed up. I mean, it could be anything. We grab a turkey leg and go sit on the couch. I mean, it's not fancy, but it's home and it's a lot of good food. There's like 25 dishes. I don't know. And a dessert for everybody. But it isn't always perfect. And sometimes it's very strained because we're people. Are you a person? 
We're just seeing a couple of us are people. See, I do that to see if you're listening sometimes. We're all humans. We're all people, and so we all have the same human condition that includes dysfunction and includes failure. And David's going to show us a couple really cool things. So obviously, when I call this thing duck, I'm talking about the time where David, remember, he was anointed the king as a teenager, and somebody remembered that he was a great guitar player, and so he goes and sings for the for the king, while the king is being tortured from a messenger of Satan that was sent by God. Yeah, figured that out. So Saul lost the favor of God. God sends something to torture him, but he's still the king. He's still anointed to be the king. David shows up to sing some songs and play some music. Look, here's, if you get one thing out of today, get this. When we worship, the devil sits down. When we praise, he has no foothold. When we speak those kind of words and we add a melody to it, we put an instrument next to it, walls come down. The enemy is silenced in the presence of God because God is there inhabiting the praise of his people. Okay? That's a powerful thing. So David would be playing his music and then Saul would be relieved. And while they're sitting there this particular day, Saul, he's not perfectly delivered. We know his story. He's going to end up dying on the field. And David's going to assume his rightful place as the king. But before that, he's working through it, and it's a little quirky. And here's what happens if you look at 1 Samuel 19. You lean in, I'll read it. It says, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear. But he, David, slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, Saul's daughter, told him, if you don't save your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. So, <laughs> you know, your family, when something isn't right, now David might think I'm not the brightest crayon in the box, but I'm pretty sure my mentor is trying to kill me, hence the spear in the wall. And what did David do? He ducked. He did not engage. He ducked. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes that's your, that's your spot. Something's coming at you. People are talking about you. Has anybody ever told a lie about you? Anybody ever said anything false about you? I'm probably the only one. You know, but people talk. People see you. And you know what? When people talk about you, they miss something that you have that they don't have. So they talk about you in a negative way. Try to get their eyes on you and off of them, which I like that, so I don't care. The brighter the microscope, the less trouble I'll probably get in. So people are going to talk about you. They're going to say stuff, and it's not always going to be true. And I remember when people would talk about me, and I would get so, like, squirmy. I'd be so insecure. I just couldn't rest till I fixed it. I'd tell Scott about it a million times. He wouldn't even flinch. He's the most secure individual I've ever met. And so I, would, I just wanted it to be right. I want the people to be right. I want everything to be smooth. I want people to, wanted people to like me. The older that I get and the closer to God that I walk, I don't care about that so much. I mean, I want you to like me. I mean, you're sitting here in church. I hope you like me. I like you. We're doing church together. We're doing life together. So we like each other. But out there, outside of here, everybody doesn't like us. Shocker. So what are you going to do when people talk about you? You're going to duck. You're not going to enter a battle that you don't have to enter. But if it crosses a line into your family, into something you've built to secure, into something that you've created peace around, your job then is to redefine the boundaries and make an established line. You have to. 
It's the warrior in you that will do it. And it's after God's own heart because we're not going to sacrifice the people that we've raised and that we're in life with for somebody way out there that doesn't have an invested interest, no skin in the game. Check in with me. So Saul sought to pin David to the wall. And I just wanted to speak about his intention right here. Remember last time we talked about um, that anointing and how David went back and forth from the you know, being anointed and being in the sheepfold to the palace to, you know, soothe Saul back to the sheepfold. And he just went back and forth like that. A lot of times we're in transition like that. And so are our families. So are the people that we love. So give a little grace, a little, little space for something like that, you know. But when David is, is coming back and forth, playing his guitar, you know, getting, having Saul run him through with the spear and he has to duck out, you know, people will tell you things around about. They'll say, oh, no, like, David goes to Jonathan in this instance, and he says, hey, your dad, he hates me. He's trying to kill me. And Jonathan says, no, no, he loves you, man. Everybody loves you. You're going to be the next king. Everybody can tell. There's so much favor on your life. Just, you know, calm down. It's going to be all right. I'll talk to dad. I'll talk to him about it. People do that in our lives. No, there's not a problem. This, that's not going on. Just stay out of it. Just leave it low. Don't worry about it. They like you. Everything's fine. But if you have that feeling in this area, in your knower, the Bible says you have an unction from the Holy One, and you have no man to tell you anything. If you feel it, you have permission to act on it, not from me, from the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you, and not with arrogance, and not with the forceful word, but with the kindness and the love of God. You know, we just studied all the fruit of the Spirit and all the gifts of the Spirit, remember? And when you bring a truth word ladled and laced in the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, you know what it tastes like? Honey. It's something somebody wants to know, that somebody cares about them enough to look into their heart and life and speak something that's truthful, right? Jonathan goes, no, he, he loves you. So they have this whole thing where they, they set it up, and, and Jonathan says, I'm going to meet Dad out here in the field. We're going to you know, shoot some arrows around, and you, you hide over there in that brush, and I'll yell out this if he's against you. Well, sure enough, Saul's intent was to kill David. He says, Jonathan, he's going he's to take the kingdom from you. Yeah, it can't be. And so Jonathan's like, oh, you know, yeah, run. The, the, the arrow went that way, you know, or whatever he says. And he's telling him, run. Dad's going to get you. So remember we talked a couple weeks ago or last week, I'm not sure, about this time when Saul's pursuing David. This is how this whole chase began. He's pursuing him around the wilderness, and he ends up in that cave where he tries to take off the, he takes off the little corner of his robe. He feels terrible for doing it. Remember that whole story? Well, this is how David got to that place, is that he's leaving and fleeing from Saul. And Saul is chasing him around the desert. He's got an army going after this guy. And I'm going to tell you, it might seem like, you know, when stuff like this goes on, that you just, I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, I'll pray very crazy, strong prayers, you know. And it's not so bad. You know, I did just start watching The Chosen, like, with my mom, because she's a big fan of it. My mom is a disciple of The Chosen. Let me just put it like that. And so there's, you know, when you're watching that, it does check your heart. It does put you in a way where you, you don't really want to be like the sons of thunder and call lightning down from heaven on somebody because they said something bad about you. But we do that. And I, sometimes I find myself praying like that. You know, do you guys ever watch The Chosen? You act like you never don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, okay, you're a little bit familiar with it. Okay. So, you know, there's a place where Jesus is walking with Peter and, and, and John, or James and John. And they're like, just call lightning down from heaven on those guys. They, they're calling us, they're talking bad about us and calling us dogs. And Jesus is like, really? 
you want to use the lightning of heaven on that? You know, because somebody said something about you. And they're like, well, when you put it like that, that's what they say. And Jesus is like, well, you put it like that. You know, you use that. And it kind of checks you because we walk around like this. And I find myself praying prayers like this. Lord, you know, could you just shut their mouth? Could you just have, you know, have something come up? I don't know what, where they can't be here today. Or can you just block that from me? Can you help me not to see that on social media? I mean, it would help if I didn't look, you know, but it's like there's, there's all the things that will come as a voice that you want to defend yourself and you don't have to do that. And here we're, we end up in a place where Saul sends some men after David, you know, over and over again. He's sending people to kill him. Michael lets him out the window the night before. They're on the race. They're on the chase through the desert. And if you look at 1 Samuel 9, 18, David runs from this particular time in the beginning. And it says, David escaped, and he went to Samuel. Remember Samuel? That's the guy that anointed him to be the king, the man of God in the region. Went to Ramah with Samuel and told him everything that Saul did to him. And he went to Samuel, and he stayed with Samuel and stayed in Naoth. Now, it was told to Saul, saying, take note, David is at Naoth and Ramah. In other words, he's with Samuel. And Saul sent messengers to take David. Now, get the, now listen to this part right here. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, the dudes that are going to get David to kill him, to bring him back, to kill him. Now, when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came on the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And then Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they prophesied also. And then he went to Ramah himself and came to the great well that is at Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, indeed, they're at Naoth and Ramah. So he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he stripped off all of his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner. And he laid down naked all day and all night. And therefore, people say, Saul is among the prophets. God will make your enemy. You know, what, you know what somebody who talks about you is? It's a fan in denial. They're possessed with you. They think about you. Somebody doesn't like you. They go find somebody else who doesn't like you. And then they go sit down and you know what they do? They talk about you. And then they get a third person maybe. And they don't like you either. And so they, they sit down together and all of them then are talking about you. You're powerful. You are the subject matter. You are the conversation. You are drawing people together because it's part of who you are. And it's never going to stop. It is never going to stop. You might as well just settle it now. God can cause the people that are coming for you to prophesy in your favor, to lay naked before God in your favor, in your honor, saying good things about you. I should throw the mic down while I'm ahead and just go. God knows how to save us. He knows how to put our namesake with his. And he's very good at it. It's Saul among the prophets. Some of the closest people in our family strike the hardest blows. It's because they're close. Someone far away can't touch me. Someone close can. And so when we, we have to make decisions during this time with holidays coming ahead, you know, it's kind of hard to sit across the table with somebody you don't have a relationship with, 
you know, and you roll your eyes and you have that secret look like with your sister. Me and my sister used to be infamous for this, but anyway, you learn the kind of behavior that's coming in the door and you brace yourself for what's going to be said. You know, you have fights over, are we going to have alcohol? We're not going to have alcohol. If somebody brings alcohol and you didn't want alcohol. And then there's that whole thing. Cause you're a Christian for crying out loud. I mean, it's just on and on. There's a million different reasons and different tiny things that we get offended about, but life is this big. Because my sister's not here this year, you know? Maybe we take a little time and figure out what kind of grace we need to be extending in forgiveness, and we take a little time to grab onto some grace if we need to be the one who's at fault. There's a couple words that heal a lot of stuff. They sound like this. I'm sorry. I am sorry. And not I'm sorry I hurt you, but I'm sorry I was a jerk and I said that. And I messed that up. See, everybody sins. Everybody falls short of God's glory, right? It's okay to own it. We pray for whatever that emergency situation is too. In Jesus' name. So that, that story pales in comparison to the one I'm getting ready to tell you. David, fast forward, I mean, he's a great king and a great warrior and a great worshiper and a great leader publicly. But David is horrible at domestic things. He's a bad dad. And I'm gonna tell you how I know that by this story right here. And I'm probably just, I'm just gonna free flow it as much as I can because it's a big, huge story, but it's where he has trouble with a couple of his kids so David, you know, he likes the ladies. He has more than one wife and more than one family unit living under his roof. If you have several family units living under the same roof, you are going to have automatically contention, jealousy, backbiting. You know, everybody wants to be dad's favorite. He's the king, after all. Everybody wants to, you know, have some kind of favor, find some kind of place with their dad. But all of them live together under the same roof. So there's a lot of tension and a lot of trouble. And so it turns out that he has a son named Amnon who likes his daughter of another wife named Tamar. And it'd be good if he wanted to marry her, but he doesn't want to marry her. He wants to sleep with her. And he has this friend who's just like, man, you are known by the company you keep. Your, your circle matters so much, who you spend time with and who you let get in, in close to you and let, who you let speak to your life, that matters. And Amnon had a friend who said, well, aren't you the king's son? Why don't you just pretend like you're sick? Pretend like you're sick and have her come in. And when she comes in, you take her. You're the king's son, for crying out loud. So Amnon goes ahead and follows that. If you just want to take a second and silence all your cell phones right now, that'd be great. And we'll just keep going forward from there. This is a brutal story, and I'm going to read it to us. And I'll just read it. 2 Samuel 13, 6. And if you think the Bible doesn't offer any kind of drama or things that relate to real life, you would be wrong. And this is one great example of that. Second Samuel 13, it says, Amnon laid down and pretended to be ill. And the king came to see him. Amnon said to the king, please tell my sister uh, to come make me a couple of cakes in, in my sight that I may eat it from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house, prepare food for him. Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house. He was lying down. She took the flour, she kneaded it. She made cakes in his sight. She baked the cakes and she took the pan and placed them before him, but he refused to eat it. And Amnon said, have everyone go out for me. 
And they all went out from him. And Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. I mean, I feel like these people just have no discernment. I'm just like, I'm like, no, bro, you can eat it right here. She said, she took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. And when she had brought them into him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She said, no, my brother, do not force me. No such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do such a disgraceful thing. And I, where, where can I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Therefore, speak to the king. He will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. And then he hated her. Man, you know, I try to speak to girls that are young. Don't give away something too quickly that you can never get back. Hold on to that as long as you can. Because there's a difference. The pursuit of lust, once it's slaked, doesn't want you anymore. But love, that'll stick. And that'll stick for a long time. And I happen to be a victim of, of such an abuse. But I'm an overcomer. I'm a survivor. And I love to speak truth in life. But this story gets me. Because she has a bad dad. And I had two. And then I found one that was good. So Amnon, then he hated her exceedingly, and that hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love, lust, which he had lusted after her. And Amnon said to her, arise and be gone. He has her thrown out. And you know who she runs into? Her brother Absalom, her blood full brother. He's like, what happened? You know? And she tells the story. And they're waiting for David to do something. It's amazing. David literally does nothing about this situation. It's a huge failure. We could speculate on why. Maybe it's because he still carries the weight of all of his own failures, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Maybe, maybe it's because he's just horrible at domestic things. Maybe he doesn't want to fight at home. He's a warrior on the field. He wants some peace at home. Let, let Joab handle it. Oh, he will. You know, Go ahead and abdicate your responsibilities here, and somebody else will surely step in and, and define it in the wrong way. So we have to, we can't be paralyzed in our sin. We have to come clean before God. We can't just stay in a broken state and not provide any leadership. And when we do, things start to fall down and they begin to crumble like they did here for David. So David does nothing about this. If you look at, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that ends up happening. You know, Absalom lures Amnon away to shear the sheep and he kills him. And then he runs because he knows that what he did was wrong. Then Joab, here's Joab going, what are you going to do? You know, you're out here mourning the loss of Amnon. You miss Absalom being around. And you've got all of Israel in, hanging in the bounds. What, are you not going to prosecute him? Are you not going to bring him in for justice? And so the story goes, David figures out a way. Bring him in, you know, slap him on the hand, you know, Absalom. Because you know what, Absalom, even though, aren't you like a vigilante justice person like me? You're like, you know, Amnon deserved that. Especially if you come from the places that I come from. You're like, good job, Absalom. But it's not a good job. He broke the law. He murdered someone. But he waited two years. He gave David two years to figure it out. And David didn't do anything about it again. So when he takes the matter in his own hands, it, the word comes to him. You know, Here's the news. Absalom's killed the king's sons. Not one of them are left. Absalom killed him because his sister was raped and the king did nothing. David takes in stuff like that. 
it hits him hard. He sees his failure. And we know because we've read and we've studied and we've looked at how he's done it before. Are you in a place in your life where someone has just offended or hurt you in such a bad way you don't know how to get past it? Because God knows how to do it. It's going to take humility on your part. You're like, my part? I'm not the one who did the thing. I know, but what did you do? Nothing? Because God starts to call us accountable. We're the leaders of, of the area. We're the leaders in this church. We're the leaders in our community. We lead on our jobs. And God has put responsibility to be the voice for someone who can't be a voice for themselves. And once we learn how to do that, man, there's nothing that can stop us. And then grace comes in like a flood and takes over. Because this isn't going to be the end of David. But after all this stuff happens, you know, David forgives Absalom. He puts him in the kingdom, but he said he can't see my face ever again. And that's his punishment. Well, that's not enough. It's not enough for Joab. Is this thing working? It's not enough for Joab. And it ends up that Joab ends up going out and taking Absalom's life right there at the end. What? Is it working? Okay. It's just one thing after another. You know, somebody has to take over for David and do the things that, are, that need to be done. Move in justice and move swiftly. You know, where's Tamar? She's left without any kind of identification. She's left feeling invisible. She's left feeling, she's in the wall. She lives in Absalom's house. She'll be a widow for all of her life now, covered in shame. That's wild. If we don't step past our failures and lead, there's going to be hell to pay. And the people that we care about will be in the wake of it. So this message right here is the same message as the anointing message. It's the same message as the fear of the Lord. It's the same message as get, God can put me in a place that he wants me to be. It's the same message as warrior. It's the heart that's after God. Because Absalom, when he's forgiven and he's living there before Joab takes him out, you know, he starts to do things because he got away with something with his father. He starts to do things like... He'll sit out in the field and he'll be like, hey, I'll be the judge. You guys got something you need? Can I help you? I'm, you know, I'm the king's son. I can help you figure that out. And he starts to weave a little plan. Not You could, you could figure out a, a hundred different scenarios or at least, at least a few. Is he trying to do good by Israel? Is he saying, I'll act. The king won't act. I'll act. Because he's now going after the throne and the kingdom. And here's David, man. He's not going if he wouldn't kill Saul, you think he's gonna take out his own son, his boy? No, there's no way. So you know what he does? He puts on a whole bunch of, of humility and they slip out the side door. And everybody who would come with them, and they're crying, and where is the kingdom gone? And they leave. And I mean, this is an amazing time. People that you don't think are with you are right next to you. You just don't know. People that you expected to be there don't come. And they mock you from the side. That's okay. Because who do you belong to? You have to have the same heart of David. This isn't in the notes, but I'll read it to you. This is David's heart on what are you going to do, David? We're, we're getting kicked out of the kingdom. We're being displaced by your son. He's up there sleeping in the windows with your concubines right now. Look at all this. What, what are you going to do? And David says this, because the Zadok, the priest, is coming, and they've got the Ark of the Covenant, and they're bringing that. All the things you're going to grab... You're going to grab the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, that's a tedious process within which you better not touch it, and you got to stop every six steps and praise God. So they're bringing that, and when David sees that, 
Here's the conversation in 2 Samuel 15. Zadok also and all the Levites with them bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set the Ark down and Abathar went up until all the people finished crossing from the city in their exodus. And the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back to the city. I'll bring you a drink across enemy lines, king. And he's like, pours it out. You know, I'll set, I'll set your predecessor right in front of you that you can take him. I can't do it. It's the fear of God again. Take the ark of God back. Here's what he says. Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. And show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do what seems good to me. In this moment, David is having a piece of reckoning. He's having a come to Jesus kind of moment for everything that happened before. Because that stuff isn't going to rule him anymore. He's having a come to Jesus moment for everything that we didn't deal with before. And here it is right now. And I just pray over us. Would you guys stand up with me? I mean, I feel like I ramble on in these messages. I love them so much. I love the content. I love the depth. I love how many vantage points there are to speak it from. I just, I love all of it. Let's just pray. Let's just get ourselves in a place where we close our eyes if you do that, you know. Whatever you do, I'm just going to pray. Lord God, we're just getting ready to head into like Thanksgiving and Christmas, a time that should be celebrated and wonderful and good. But we carry a lot of stuff that we don't know what to do with. And we're asking you, God, to get in the middle of it right now. In the name of Jesus. God, we're asking that there will be times of healing and great connection in our families. We're asking that our delight would be in you, Lord God. We're asking that our delight would be in your presence and that we would seek that first and foremost before we step into anybody's home during this time. I pray that, God, that as your children, that we would do our part to lead our families, not to leave them to wander and wander Help us to speak and intervene when we need to, God. And help us to have grace to admit when it's our fault and not to be lowly about it or embarrassed, God. We come to you on the throne of grace boldly and we lay ourselves on it. God, help us to extend forgiveness. We know you, Lord. We know you can lift us to the places that you want us to be. God, every tongue that rises against us in judgment be silenced in Jesus' name. You know how to make our enemies prophesy in our favor according to the scripture. Lord, let your name be exalted. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Father, we speak life to this room in the name of Jesus. Amen. Man, you guys, can you receive that? Can you receive that for this time, for this season? God wants us to move. He wants us to move in compassion and authority and love to our family, to ourselves. And if you need some prayer today, I know uh, my friends, Todd and Steve, Star, if you want to pray with Steve, they'll be right up here. Whatever you need, you need some healing, you've got a relationship situation, you want to see some breakthrough come, just come right on up and they're going to pray for you guys and and I'll be here too. I love you. I'll see you next time. Thank you for your attention. Thanks for listening. Remember to like and subscribe to this podcast. You can learn more about the Loft Gathering by visiting loftgathering.com or by joining us for Sunday morning worship service at 1030 a.m. Till next time, be blessed.